Why I, Captain? Oh. <laughs> Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? It's chivalry. Far seer. <laughs> if nautical nonsense is something you wish. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 27, The City. And we're back and not as sick as before. So. Yeah. <laughs> we can actually talk and not sound horrendous. <laughs> like we're croaking or something, you know? Right. All right. So the epigraph for this chapter is talking about the old trade road. And just kind of the history of that and how it's known in the Mountain Kingdom. So it's an old trade road that starts beyond the Mountain Kingdom and kind of runs into the mountains. And if sometimes adventurous people go out there seeking things or youths will follow it or whatever, and they always come back with some wild tales, but it's always marked down as it's not really worth it to return because there's nothing of value out there. Right. Which I found really interesting because... It specifically says in here, it's not recorded anywhere that anyone has ever been impressed enough to make a return trip to the road's end. And one thing I found really interesting about that is the Mountain Kingdom is very pragmatic in what they deem interesting or worth visiting or anything like that. So right. a bunch of ruins and, you know, statues maybe and this road are not very noteworthy because no animals go by. It. <laughs> Fair. But I do find it odd because... At least they talk about, like, potentially these people have been to Kalsingra. Yeah, tall and, tales of ruined cities and steaming valleys. Yes, and that's interesting just because we know that there is treasure, super valuable treasure in Kalsingra. Although maybe by this time all of it's been, well, not all of it because we know there is still some, but, like, most of it has been picked clean. And you have to go pretty deep in the city to find anything now. Yeah, it's fairly buried and you kind of have to at least within the Rainwild Chronicles they kind of have to live through the lives to find these secret areas where they have you know uh, that skill glove made out of dragon mm -hmm. skin or you know things like that and I guess the traders whenever they are there I mean they kind of have the run of the city and they're there for a while with the yeah. purpose of living there yep. so they're going in every nook and cranny they find clothes which Probably if you're looking for valuable things, you're not going to just pick up clothes. Right. You're probably going to go for like jewels. So to be fair, like probably the interesting stuff is gone at this point. But another thing that stuck out to me is that this road starts near Blue Lake, which is in Pharaoh. I checked the map. <laughs> so that means Fitz potentially has already been near this road. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it is part of the skill wrought road but it is the same highway right the same kind of system or singular road that was broken up into like trails or whatever throughout the mountain kingdom and then picks up again on the other side right and it is it does mention that this road nobody built things around it after it became 
an adventurer's road or well before that too, I suppose, because it's an old road that doesn't go to anywhere that makes sense. So it's not stopping at villages. Nobody built up places around this, which you would think they would want to do because they know people want to travel this. And so maybe that would like, I mean, hey, you already have this perfectly good road. Why not just, I don't know, build a town there? But if you are in the wilderness, though, I can see why people would not want to build around it because there is no game like wild animals don't go by it. So I, right. I, I feel like that's a pretty big kind of, hey, we shouldn't be around here because there's no food source. <laughs> That's fair. I guess more so I'm thinking about the fact that this, the road that they're talking about in this epigraph specifically starts in Blue Lake and from Blue Lake to the Mountain Kingdom to where they are now is such a long distance that it feels like even before you get to the wilderness of the mountains, you would think even in Buck somewhere, there would be something like somebody would have right. built something but no, not even there. And just so uh, people are aware, clarification for Blue Lake, this is the actual lake, not the city of Blue Lake. Yes. Because once you cross from the city across the Blue Lake itself, the body of water, you get to the other side. And that's kind of where um, they're saying it. At least it says this highway appears as far south and east as the shore of Blue Lake. So we pick back up. With Fitz just having stepped into and now out of the skill pillar. Yes. He is groggy, disoriented. He can't really remember how he got there. He feels as if he was drunk and is wondering if that's what he was doing because it's kind of the same sensations. He's looking all around. He's in a town square and he notes that he says he's standing in the shadow of a looming stone memorial of some kind. He's that disoriented. He can't link the two pillars right. that he just went through. We find out later this is several days journey because he is in the city. They were able to kind of see the city-ish from their camp, but it's like very far away. Yes. So he instantly teleported at least multiple days journey away. Yeah, so... It's a big jump. It's also super lucky that nothing happened to Fitz because we, the rereader, know that using this pillar, especially untrained, is super dangerous. That you can be lost to time or just the skill itself. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes people go in and never come back. And Fitz makes it. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's later on said that it's lucky that he had elf bark in him. Otherwise, mm. he probably would have been pulled into the Skill River because I'm assuming that deadened him enough where he's just like, oh, let's just keep going through. <laughs> right. Although he doesn't have it to get back. Yeah, that's so. true. This is basically Fitz's lucky the chapter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of wild because we normally don't say that he's lucky in any sort of no. sense. <laughs> but this is this really shows that. You know, sometimes fate does pull through for him. Right. It is <laughs> this catalyst, going. catalyst wheels turning here. <laughs> but he is here now. He is disoriented and he is trying to figure out what's going on. And it is completely dark. He knows he's in a town square, but because there's no light, it's really hard to make out anything else. That's an interesting point, actually, because he does describe a kind of nebulous light that kind of obscures vision mm -hmm. but also there's 
He describes it as my eyes could make no sense of the light. It was sourceless and evenly insufficient. There were no looming shadows or especially dark alleys, but neither could I make out where I was going. So it is a very odd description to me where it feels very unnatural if I think about it or try to picture it because it is a sourceless light that is illuminating everything. Basically, like if the air itself were lit, but it is so dim where you can't really tell what is happening, but you know it's not pitch black. Right. And it's super foggy right now, so that probably doesn't help. Maybe if it wasn't as foggy, it would be easier to see things. And I wonder if that's like an actual fog or if it's just... His brain. (laughs) His brain not being able to, you know, being fogged. Right. Quote unquote, from going through the skill pillar and the this light kind of just not throwing a natural what he's used to, you know, that's fair. It could be. I took it as real fog because he's by a body of water and uh, going to college right next to the bay. It gets foggy a lot, especially like, well, especially in fall. And this is more springtime. And sometimes it would get foggy in the spring. But just like being by a large body of water. It will, I don't know. It just it made sense to me that it, it's right. just regular fog. But I like the idea that it's potentially just mind fog from going through the pillar. <laughs> that sounds cooler. So he's kind of trying to get his bearings, but it's starting to get a bit cold. So he decides to walk to try to warm up. And he is pretty terrified going through this because the sensations to him reminds him of when he was manipulated and skill deceived in Regal's manner in the sense that none of these directions really make sense to him. And he's also terrified to grope out with the skill if in case he encounters Will being infested in this looking for him. Right. I thought it was also interesting because he's saying that he notices that these buildings are really tall and that he's fighting his panic down. And that also like gives him this weird... That's part of his description of like, it makes me feel like I'm being skill deceived. And so it's interesting. We know, obviously, when he was skill deceived, that he knew the directions were wrong. He just overlooked them. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if part of that like overwhelming feeling is because this is a skill city, like a skill built. So there's that brush of skill somewhere to like even further cement this feeling of like something is wrong and I shouldn't be here. (laughs) Right. Although I don't know, I'd probably be pretty freaked out if I transported to a random city. Didn't know how you got there. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think I would too, (laughs) especially with a city that is completely dead. Yeah. Because he reaches out with his skill, cannot find night eyes, and there is nothing alive in the city at all. He doesn't know if there is truly no living creature or if his wit sense fails. So that's also kind of freaky. Right. So he listens. He tries to look around. He reaches out with his other senses and there's nothing there. Panic is rising and he's trying to rest, gain his composure, and he leans back against a wall and the city springs to life. We know this is because if you touch the skill wrought stone, all of the memories of that city or that area spring up and the ghostly remnants of those pasts kind of walk around. Right. Fitz doesn't really know what he's doing. He doesn't figure it out yet until I think the next page. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But he touches the wall 
the wall springs up and we get a nice little description of an alive city here of what it was like in Kelsingra back in the day. The wall he has decided on accident to lean up against happens to be an inn. And from the window, he hears a unfamiliar tune coming through. There are people running around. He sees a couple, a young couple darting through and a wagon go by. And he says it was night in this strange city, but it was not sleeping. I lifted my eyes to the impossible heights of their strangely spired buildings and saw lights burning in the upper stories. In the distance, a man called loudly to someone. It's just this moment in time and it's Mm -hmm. real. It's (laughs) it's just a strange sensation of maybe I'm going crazy for Fitz. And he does. He his heart is hammering. He feels like something's wrong. What's going on? He steps away from the wall eventually and it all goes still again. I do, before I move on, I do want to point out the strangely spired buildings because that description is in the, I think it's in the dream that he shared with Verity when Verity was getting uh, his skill hands, <laughs> which is something I do want to come back to once we talk more about Kelsingra here. Yes. Because we had a big debate about whether Kelsingra was the city or not. Right. That skill river it appeared in. There'll be more in this chapter that kind of hints one way or the other, but it's still up in the air completely. So we'll talk about it more later. But I just wanted to point that out. There are large, strange, spired buildings and peaks in this city. Yeah, it's really interesting that the city is built the way that it is. We know that dragons were the main focus of the city. And this is the only city of the old, like, magic people, elderling make that was built to house dragons everywhere. Um, I think it's mentioned in the The Rainwild Chronicles? Yes, in the Rainwild Chronicles that whenever oh I can't think of his name. Uh the red dragon's keeper. He's Rapskull? Yes, Rapskull. He's dumb is what <laughs> you're gonna say. <laughs> he is described as being a little bit obtuse. <laughs> Oh, anyway, poor Rapskull. <laughs> Rapskull says that they loved the dragons the most at Kelsingra and that everywhere else also liked dragons, that they built specific areas for dragons. But this is the only one that was like, this is the dragon city. Right. So I wonder if all the spires is just so they have a better view of the sky to look out for dragons better. Or That's something. what I was kind of thinking, too, is just more they built very wide and broad at the base, but then they go very high mm-hmm. to look out in the skies. Yeah. Which pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds pretty cool. So he steps away from the wall. In that instant, the whole city goes dark again and he starts walking. He thinks that the weather is a little bit milder here than had been on the road above, but that's probably because he's sheltered. (laughs) And later the next morning, he says like, oh, I think spring is on its way around. So Mm -hmm. we're getting through winter here. Yes. Do you want to make mention of the time a little bit? (laughs) Because it's important every time Robin Hopp mentions it. Right. To just kind of keep track of where we're at. We have a vague idea of the calendar going on. (laughs) So according to us, at least, then his birthday or when he celebrates his birthday is around-ish. Yes. This time. This is somewhere near his birthday. Yeah. So he is either 18, 19, or 20. (laughs) (laughs) 
So he wanders around. He's trying to choose the widest road to follow. And after a time, he realizes he's slowly walking downhill. He sits at a uh, great circular basin. And again, the city springs to life because he's touching, you know, a stone section of this city. And he again notices a little scene spring up here. He tries to speak to some of them. But he specifically says, when I rose to speak to them, they vanished and the light with them. So again, he does not touch. <laughs> he, he stops touching the wall and they disappear. And then twice more, I woke the city before I realized all it took was the touch of my hand on a crystal veined wall. Right. I do also want to say that Fitz seems to have some grip on the idea that they're not really there. Um, the when he sits on the basin of the fountain, he says it's a dry, dusty basin that this horse is getting water from. So clearly there's like the two layers of reality fighting with each other that and Fitz can see underneath it. But at least the first time it felt like he was putting more emphasis into only seeing the first layer, whereas now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, something's weird, which is. What I thought it was described as, and I, I'm more solidified in my idea of it, that is just kind of overlaid. And if you believe in it more like Rapskill does, mm-hmm. even though that's a more intimate kind of let me show you like my full memories of this one person kind right. of thing. That was a little <laughs> weird. <laughs> live in the lives. I feel like it is overlaid. And if you know that it's fake, you can see the underlying thing, but it's kind of like a shimmering haze of beautiful lights that are making up the rest of the the history scene, the, right. the past. Very hologram-esque. <laughs> yes. But I also did want to point out that the women that Fitz tries to talk to, uh, it talked about their clothing and... They wore long, straight garments that hung softly from their shoulders and fluttered about their calves as they walked. And that sounds suspiciously like the clothes that are found later in the Rainwild Chronicles that the all the dragon keepers wear. And I thought it was really cool that whether or not it was on purpose, and this isn't the exact same description. Right, yeah, it, it's just but a there, style of clothing. Yeah, that's consistent. Like, yeah, I just thought that was really fun mm-hmm. that that little detail made it to the like whatever (laughs) 10 books from now (laughs) so he begins walking trailing his fingers alongside the walls and as he does so of course the city is blooming into life about him as he walks it was night and the quiet snow still fell the passing wagons left no tracks in it I heard the slamming of doors that had long since rotted away and saw folk walk lightly over a deep gully some wild rainstorm had created down one street. It was hard to dismiss them as ghosts when they called greetings aloud to one another. I was the one who was ignored and invisible as I drifted along. Which he touches on a little bit later as well, but it's, it's a very odd feeling to maybe think you're the ghost. Right. <laughs> and like, is this actually happening? Is this, is this just a moment in time in the past? How long ago was this? Is, is this a specific moment or is it just kind of random or, mm-hmm. you know, are you the ghost? Are they reliving this every single night and you're just a passerby here? Yeah. Odd thoughts that he has. And it's kind of a, a very weird situation right. <laughs> for, for someone to be in. Yeah. And I also think that it k- 
kind of touches on Fitz's loneliness because here in this moment, he feels like a ghost. But throughout this whole series so far, this is how he feels going everywhere. It's just that now it's actually more solid because nobody can actually hear him or see him. (laughs) But I I don't know. I just I found it interesting that this time when really nobody can acknowledge him because they're not real, they're not there he isn't lamenting on the loneliness. He's not talking about how there's nothing out there for him. You know, this isn't a sad lonely. This is just like a introspective lonely almost. Mm -hmm. It feels like. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. (laughs) He eventually makes his way down and sees a river. It has some ghost keys in it. It says with a couple ships moored out in the, uh, in the water, there are, you know, ship, river rats as he says it that are like arguing and stuff a fight breaks out city guards come and he picks up his hand from the wall and lets his eyes adjust to the reality yeah he does also mention that the language that the river rats are speaking is different from buckkeep language but similar enough and this is a really good mention because i know when i was reading this i'm like wait can he understand what all these people are saying because i I'm wondering, like, would this be if I touched a wall and old English ghosts pop up? Like, I would. There's no way I would know what they're saying. Specifically, he says a huddle of folk were engaged in some game of chance and someone's honesty was being loudly disputed. They dressed differently from the river rats who came into Buck and the language was different. But in all else that I could tell, they were of the same breed. So I feel like it's just kind of general meeting and like this is obviously what they're doing and not not even recognizing, oh, this could be an ancestor to my own language. I think this is just that's a familiar scene that I've seen a hundred times. That's fair. Yeah, I guess that's where I was like kind of wondering. I'm I like languages Mm -hmm. and it was curious to me. I think also it's hard because Fitz knows a lot of languages. So it would probably be easier for him to kind of pick up on meanings and subtleties just because he has the base knowledge of several languages to draw from because we know at this point, I don't think he has a a big understanding of out Islander. No, but he does have Chelsea. He probably has a little bit of Chalcedon and mountain kingdom for sure. Sheridan and then Buck. I think he has another language too, though, because Chade like trained him in Mm. languages. Maybe. I always remember the other stories. He always has to, like, learn the language before going in kind of thing. So I guess I'm just thinking because next series, he talks about how island language is hard for him, but he did learn it. That brings into a question, actually. What does Jamalian and... (laughs) You know? Yeah, the Rainwild people? What do they speak? Is that the Buck language? Because they travel there and trade there all the time then why is chalced so different smack dab yeah. in the middle <laughs> good question because jamalia and buck are very far apart yeah and the people who live in uh bingtown emigrated or were kind of exiled from <laughs> right. jamalia or given an option to be exiled from jamalia right from that faraway place so i don't do they I don't I don't know if it's ever mentioned. Well, I mean, if you think about it, there are a lot of like European countries that have English esque roots 
right. their ancestors. So like, and then there's like Russia, which is not anywhere close. Right, like, like romantic languages yeah, versus, yeah. Versus like, I don't know what guttural I know. languages. <laughs> I don't know. But like, yeah. yeah, so I think, I don't know. It's weird, but it kind of could happen maybe. But yeah, I guess what, what are they speaking? Because doesn't, oh, Sawsbeard, what's his name? <laughs> Let Wintro? Yes. Wintro. Wintro. <laughs> Anytime I think of him, that's <laughs> it's a little catchphrase. Sawsbeard. Um <laughs> doesn't Wintro have to learn a different language for the monastery or something? I'm not sure. That, uh, maybe that, I'm making that's that literally detail. like a chapter and a half. Yeah, that's true. And then all he does is pine after it later, but we don't like hear right. more details. So I'm not sure. Mm. I don't remember. <laughs> mm. We'll have and to keep an eye out for that too. Yeah, and it doesn't really ever. No, hold on. There is. I'm vaguely remember Lord Golden speaking with Jack. Yes, but Jack is from buck originally i don't remember i didn't think she was Mm. because i feel like or maybe i don't know we'll have i don't know i don't know we shouldn't speculate on it we're just kind of yeah we should on it so we'll we'll figure it out later (laughs) but if you guys know uh please let us know as well we're just kind of curious about it right now yeah well of course we'll get to it but get to it pretty soon yeah i know Anyway, Just another 14 chapters or something. <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. So he turns back to the river. He's looking at this place and it is. He says something in the general configuration of the land tugged at my memory. It was not precisely here. I knew that. But I felt sure that this was the river where I had seen Verity lave his hands and arms and bring them out gleaming with magic. Cautiously, I walked over broken paving stones right down to the edge of the river. It looked like water. It smelled like water. I crouched down beside it and thought. I had heard tales of pools of tarry mud covered over with water. I knew well how oil floated upon water. Perhaps beneath the black water there flowed another river, one of silver power. Perhaps, farther upstream or down, was the tributary of pure skill I had seen in my vision. So this right here is a passage that hints towards Fitz's first-hand view knowledge that this river particularly was where Verity dipped his hands in the skill, right. which would point to Kelsengrub being the city that we had spoken of before that he had seen. Right. To be fair, it is just a river bank with ghost people running around. Yeah. So... It's possible that he's just conflating the two because what are the odds there's more than one town like this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not saying this isn't or is. I'm still kind of on the fence, but it, yeah, it does. Fitz seems to think that this is where Verity was. So I want to read the description real quick of when he first gets to the skill dream with Verity. Okay. This is from chapter 22 says, I was suddenly in another place. It was a city in the sense that folk dwelt there in great number. But the folk were unlike any I had ever seen, nor had I ever seen such dwellings. The buildings soared and spiraled to airy heights. The stone of the walls seemed to have flowed into their forms. There were bridges of delicate tracery and gardens that both cascaded down and tendrilled up the sides of the structures. There were fountains that danced and others that pooled silently. 
Everywhere brightly clad people moved through the city as numerous as ants, yet all was silent and still. So the, uh, the spiral part caught my eye because of what we were talking before, where Kelsingra was kind of uniquely built mm-hmm. to spiral and or at least be tall and specifically house these dragons and things like that. So it just kind of drew a little bit, a couple more connections between Kelsingra and this place. I mean, of course, there are other points that say Kelsingra can't be because they never found it. The dragons never smelled it. You know, all, all these right. sorts of things. I'm just saying that there's a little bit more firsthand knowledge here that it could be. However, if this is Kelsingra, where the river was, where the magic skill stuff is, and Verity closed the well that was leaking into the water, it this happens, what, 50 years before the dragons come back? Not quite 50, no. Um, you don't think... Well, how old? It's 15 between now and the Tawny Man trilogy. And at the end of the Tawny Man trilogy is when Ice Fire is released. Right? Mm-hmm. At the end of Live Ship. That's true. It's Tintangula. Tintangula and the uh, Cocoons. So these dragons have been hatching in between then. So it's probably but 10 that, to 15 years, I would say. The hatching dragons can't fly. Right, right. So, I know they're yeah. sitting in the um, right, sitting in the rain wilds for a while, but it's around the timeline ish. Right, I would say fifteen years, give or take five. Okay, well, see, I was thinking more final trilogy, where I'm like, well, of course they're not going to smell. Right, yeah, that is forty years later. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, that makes sense, but I guess maybe there should be some trace. I don't know. It's really hard to understand what this is. Uh, I don't know. There could easily, it could easily shift though in, you know, with a place as volatile as the Rainwild is, if there are those shakes that make the river run white and acidic every, you know, week or something like that, it could easily have some sort of earthquake that could shift the flow of those rivers. So here's what I was thinking, because I feel like Verity makes a comment that he like destroys the flow and later i feel like there's a comment that the well was closed by somebody and it broke in some way i don't know i don't fully remember the details but i feel like verity did something to make it stop and i don't know if there's any mention of when the shakes happened and when the water i mean it's always been bad in the rain wilds but i was wondering if maybe the white is part skill i think that's the uh that's kind of it's somewhat hinted at but we don't know that for sure but that's what i kind of assumed is it's not like pure skill but it's kind of like a diluted form that just burns people yeah just like eats away at your boats and things like that and that's why the wizard wood can withstand it because it is dragons right and i well i was thinking about this we know that Fitz and like Verity can handle touching pure skill, but it seems like the elderlings couldn't. So right, yeah, they cannot. Maybe this is like you have to be a person who has is skilled and highly skilled at using the skill, right? <laughs> to where you can withstand touching it. Whereas all these poor people that may or may not even have the skill 
can't withstand it. So it is just acid to them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've talked about that before as well, where uh, the elderlings seem to have a different capability than skilled users. Mm -hmm. And specifically skilled users have are are seen very oddly to uh, the elderlings because skill users can heal the deformities in elderlings and things like that. Things that only dragons can do, according to them. So it's it's a very different and must be a new iteration of magic upon the world in the realm of the Elderlings, because presumably they would have seen in their memories things from Kelsingra with right. like skilled users before. It does beg the question if in this world to fill the void of dragons, something akin two of the dragons had to be put into the world. So humans with the power of the dragons were born in some weird way. I don't know how that works, bloodline or whatever, you know, maybe somebody got experimented on and (laughs) procreated. I don't know. (laughs) Fitz doesn't have the full courage of Verity to plunge his arms in, but he does just feel the top of the water and it's, you know, icy cold and everything. And he draws back. And he's thinking in his head here. I had seen how his immersion in the magic had tried his will. I was no match for it. He had marched alone up on the skill road while I, my mind darted back to that puzzle. When had I left the skill road and my companions? Perhaps I never had. Perhaps all this was a dream. And he pats his hand with the cold water on his face. He scratches so hard that it hurts. And he's like, can I dream this pain? So he's still extremely fogged in his head. He doesn't know how he got here. He's still confused on the memories leading up to going through the skill pillar. So even though he was extremely lucky going through it and ending up at a safe place and not at the bottom of an ocean or anything like that, Mm -hmm. he is still extremely befuddled. Right. And bewildered. And <laughs> right. Well, confused. to be fair, he doesn't know transportation or transportation exists. Right. <laughs> and it would be really hard to figure out, like, what the heck just happened? You wouldn't immediately be like, oh, I magically transported here. You'd be like, how? What? It makes sense to me. But I do want to quick have one more tangent. Just a quick little aside. I'm sitting here thinking about how when... Fitz is watching Verity go through whatever town he is, whether it's Kelsingra or a different town. He mentions all the ghosts, but that there's no sound. And Verity doesn't seem to be touching the walls to make them appear. So two quick questions. One, do you think Fitz could see the skill ghost because he was in a skill form himself? Or is Verity strong enough to where the skill didn't need to be touched by his hand. He could just feel them there with his raw skill talent. Possibly both. I don't know. Yeah. That's something to ask Robin Hobb, I guess. <laughs> I suppose. I also don't like that Fitz couldn't hear the sound and now he can. Cause I'm wondering like, what's up with that? I well, don't know. the only difference is that he was physically there this time instead of not the last time. So that's true. His ghost ears don't work unless yeah. it's skill talk. <laughs> Probably. Although, wouldn't these people be talking through skill? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Whatever. <laughs> That was my quick aside because I couldn't stop thinking about it. (laughs) He decides to retrace his steps then to try to go back to where he came from. And as he's trying to do this, he is thinking about what I had brought up before, that introspection of 
what is actually happening here? I wondered when all these folks had been here. Did I view the events of a night a hundred years ago? Had I, had I come here another night, would I view the same events played out or see a different night from the city's history? Or did these shades of folk perceive themselves as living now? Was I an odd cold, an odd cold shadow that crept through their lives? I forced myself to stop wondering about things I had no answer to. I had to trace my way back the way I had come. Either I came to the end of places I could remember, or I took a wrong turning. The result was the same. So he's thinking about these things and then gets lost. Right. And it is a good question. We don't know. There's not enough knowledge to know if these things change regularly, I don't think. I forget the descriptions in Rainwild Chronicles, and if I had read it more recently, I feel like I would know. But do you think that it, if he had come here tomorrow night and went through the same places that he would see something different? I personally have a belief that's a little weird, and I don't know why I think this, but I feel like your soul, in a way, calls out to the skill view that you see, and that it will change the more time you spend there. But I think, like, I think if anybody else in his group was in his place, there's a potential they would have saw a different night. Really? But I don't think if Fitz came in any other night, it would be different, if that makes sense. Hmm. I don't know that he'd see the same thing every night, but I think his first night there, he would see this scene no matter what. That's how it works in my mind. From how I understand what happens to the people in the, the rain wilds, um, they go crazy because they're invested in the lives of people, which maybe means that it does change all the time. And so you see them doing different things. But at some point, it would have to be a loop, right? Or Well, the ones that Rapskill gets involved in isn't a particular city memory. No, that's somebody it's putting their life specific, into a specific, yes. Yeah. No, I'm talking about the people who get lost. That like I in the cities, drowned in memories in yes. the old cities. Yes, I'm talking about that more. It seems like I think I thought that was more not so much skilled people. So their mind is untrained, but they are elderlings and have been around it so long that they kind of get once in a while. Some people who could probably be very sensitive to skill mm-hmm. kind of called to and then they just keep hearing voices, you know, and they kind uh-huh. of get driven insane by that. I thought or they they get a longing to understand what's going on down there and they kind of spend the rest of their days there. I guess I'm thinking and dragons pull them down there, too. Right. Malta specifically touches something and sees like a theater full of people yeah. and freaks out. I don't know. So I'm, I I guess the way I understand it is that like, I don't know, because those people probably are descendant in some way from elderlings that like, I don't think I don't they're know, descendant from elderlings no, necessarily, but, but they're they've around it. Yeah. You know, they, they grew up in the same areas and kind of. Right. I, I don't know. I guess it just, it feels like, you will see what you are destined to see right. and that the more you focus on it, the more you can learn. And that like, eventually you'll be able to like, Oh, I want to know more about this person. I'm going to follow this person's life around. But like, I, I don't know that. I don't know. I guess it, there's no reason for me to think that that's just what I think. <laughs> what about you? I'm not sure. Like with the whole memory thing, like how it works. Mm-hmm. 
in my head, it's more so everyone sees the same thing on every day. Mm. That like if a group of people went, they would all see the same thing, same memories. Yeah, I think that. And I feel like the next day it would be the next day of the people's lives there. I don't know how that works really in relation to time, but I feel like his section second thought there. If he came here another night, would a different night play out? I think it's kind of one to one correlation. Just like it's at night when he's viewing these scenes and it's at night for him in real life. Right. So like in the morning, he sees the morning play out. I feel like it's just going through the same cycle. Mm. But I don't know if that progresses through years after years and you can see people get old or if it repeats at a certain point. Right. But I do feel like there is some sort of sequence to it and it does go in a full full cycle and progresses that's fair and maybe special nights were like specifically locked in so like maybe they were like this year we have to be good because we're recording the whole thing (laughs) everybody (laughs) chill out (laughs) no fights (laughs) Uh, but as Fitz does go through this ghost city he makes mention that there's a skill ghost of a dog that walks by him. And I found that very interesting considering at this point, no animals are there. No animals go near the skill road. Animals avoid this place. So why is there a dog? How are the dogs okay in this time period? I feel like it's similar to what Night Eyes said about the Jeppas, hmm. where wild animals will not go near it. But the dogs rely on the humans or their owners and have like loyalty to that. So if they are scared of something or if they feel something's off, they will reach out to their owners and the owners are saying like, you know, it's fine. We're here. We're living here. And that way it's it works like that. I don't know. That's uh, that's kind of what I thought. Interesting. That's fair, because I guess there's also a cat that's sleeping by a fire in Mm -hmm. the house. Fitz decides to go in to sleep. Speaking of, yes, he finds a place to uh, go inside, makes a a fire where his ghost fire he saw was. Right. And sleeps the night away, trying to set his skill walls up, but not being really able to. Because he says, the closer I came to sleep, the harder it was to recall where those boundaries lay. How much of my world was me and how much was the folk I cared about? I dreamed first of Ketrikin, Starling, Kettle, and the Fool, wandering about with torches while Night Eyes ran back and forth, back and forth, whining. Which is very sad. He says it was not a comfortable dream, so he turned away from that. Uh, That's not a dream, that was the truth. He was skill walking there. That is definitely, in my mind, what they were doing. They were searching for him, trying (laughs) trying to find him, running back and forth along the roads. Right, which, also, Kettle... Speak up. You know what this is. You know you can travel through the pillars, even if it's super dangerous. Maybe she doesn't know that, I guess. But I'm pretty sure she knows. And I think this is a pretty good time. It's in the scrolls and stuff, so Mm -hmm. she should know. It would be a good time to be like, hey, just so you know, I know a little bit more than I've been saying. I'm not going to say anything more, but he might be dead. (laughs) Uh. So he drifts off to sleep and skill walks. He finds his way to the familiar hut, Molly's and Birik's hut. Molly is singing a lullaby to Nettle, trying to get her to sleep. And Fitz says that he is also kind of fascinated because he had never had lullabies when he was a kid. 
He doesn't remember them, at least. Right. So he kind of sat there entranced while Nettle fell asleep as well. Once she does, Molly rose wearily and carried the baby to her bed. She pulled open the blanket, nestled the child in, and then went back to the table to blow out the single candle there. By the light from the hearth, I watched her ease into bed beside the child and draw the blankets up over them both. She closed her eyes and sighed and did not stir again. I watched over her leaden sleep, recognizing it as the sleep of exhaustion. I knew sudden shame. This hard, bare life was not anything I ever envisioned for her, let alone our child. Were it not for Birik, life would be even harder for them. I fled from seeing them this way, promising anything. Promising myself things will get better. Somehow I will make things better for them when I return. So again, turning away from uncomfortableness and straight into Chade's bedroom. And he is with a lady. Yes, yes he is. They pick up where Chade is looking over the map again and kind of planning for the future. Yes. And scheming like he does. Yes, but this time with a woman who is in the nude and Fitz says wears her nakedness like an armor. Um, she is older, so probably... Well, we, I, we uh, can't speculate. That's no, no, the no. only description. <laughs> yeah, it just says she's older and... It, I mean, Fitz is a teenager, so older could mean 30, older older could mean 50, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> True. She says, or he says, she was not young, and long ago a sword had left its tracks down her ribs. She was still breathtaking in a formidable female way. Fitz likes those strong women, you know? Yep, yeah. <laughs> Find out later she is a mercenary. We don't ever get a name, and it's just kind of a, a plot point. <laughs> to move to to give us information basically that Robin yes. Hobb provides here. Yes. They're they're talking about Regal's movement of soldiers and what's happening and everything right. like that and she kind of leads the conversation with Chade. Right. For Chade to figure out something and then says, "Oh, I took care of sending this message already." Right. And that main point is that they're kind of moving around Jean-Pierre and around to this old track which right. we know is the road. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So they're bypassing a lot of this stuff and there's no real reason for it except that Chade asks, like, hey, why, why would they be doing this? And she's like, well, you're the master at this, so you tell me. But they could be, you know, poisoning the wells. They could be uh, arranging an assassination attempt on King Ayad, anything like this. Right. They're going around the other side. Mm-hmm. And because the wars that are being fought by Regal are in random little places. Mm-hmm. So... It's lives lost or lives risked, at least, for what seems to be nothing except this opening. And we know that this opening is more so so that they can go build their own dragon. This is for the skilled ones. This has nothing to do with the Mountain Kingdom anymore. This is to chase after Verity. Yes. Make sure he's dead and then hopefully gain a weapon or an ally for themselves. Yes. And... Chade doesn't know that, so he's concerned about the war itself and the kingdom itself. Right. And Fitz doesn't know either, so he also is under the impression that obviously they are going to attack. First of all, coming after them. He thinks they're coming after a group to get them, but also that probably they are going to attack King Aod. Mm -hmm. So it's this interesting thing. But I really like that this chapter, Chade, who is this all-knowing figure that we've never really seen... 
I mean, he has questions and he always kind of hypothesizes, but it always feels like he at least knows the answer or knows most of the answer. And in this moment, we get to see him a little bit more, I would say, vulnerable, where he doesn't know the answer and he is stumped. And this woman comes along and does what he usually does to fits and mm-hmm. gives him the answer without giving him the answer. It's a it's a preview that we see for the Tawny Man trilogy where he and Fitz are more of an on an even footing and they kind of plan together. So we don't see that in this book, but the next trilogy, yeah, we do. Definitely. Right. And they kind of are more equals even though Fitz kind of still longs for that, you know, mentor mentee role right which he hated the whole time he had it and then as soon as he doesn't have it anymore he's like oh (laughs) isn't that with like true of like everyone though yeah i suppose when you're a kid you do want to like i wish i was an adult and then you start paying bills and you're like oh not as cool (laughs) i can eat whatever i want oh i gotta do dishes yeah i gotta cook (laughs) (laughs) to pick out the food Uh, no but it is I think this scene also makes me curious of how good of a assassin Chade can be if he's not holed up in the wall because he's kind of a chatterbox. And I don't know. I mean, I feel like he doesn't exactly keep his accomplishments to himself for a lot of things he probably should. He is still very secretive and does have secrets that he won't tell anybody, but we see this and that with his two children's parents he at least shared enough so they know who he is you know i don't know i just oh jade (laughs) he just likes to brag you know so then he meaning fitz wakes up he is in his room his broken down building that he crawled into and he decides to Head off again, trying to, you know, find his way back. He said, I had expected the daylight would vanquish the phantom denizens of the city. Instead, the light seemed to make them stronger. Black stone with quartz-like veins had been used widely in constructing the city, and I had but to touch any piece of it to see the city's life awaken around me. But even when I touched nothing, I still seemed to catch glimpses of folk, to hear the murmur of their chatter and sense the tumult of their passage. And I remember that, reading that again right now, I remember that places that were more heavily frequented Mm -hmm. had more memories stored in them, and you didn't really need to recall them by touching the stone at all to have them spring upon you, but places that were a little bit more, less dense, touch it, then the memories come up. Right. So... With Verity's dream, it could be in one of those very, very heavily frequented areas. That's true. But it does feel odd that he'd find a spring of skill in a heavily... It wasn't a spring. It was part of a, a flowing river, you know? Right. So it wasn't coming out of the ground. It was flowing from Somewhere. the Riven Mountain, it said, or something like that. Right. Down and then joined another tributary, like another yeah. larger river. I guess my point is, I find it odd that a main path, third thorough way would take him to anywhere close to the skill because it seems like at least in the later series the elderlings seem to keep hush hush about the skill which is a little bit challenged here and a little bit when Fitz watches a memory of a dragon drinking skill and just regular people pumping it for him yeah or it they 
<laughs> the dragon. <laughs> and yeah, we're we're just about to get to that. So actually, he is looking for a place to climb. A place with a tall spire so he can look over the city and see see where he's going and try to find his way out. Uh, when he reaches that, he wasted little time, like a, a bit of time standing and staring in awe at it because there is a lot of art and reliefs and sculptures out front of it decorating. It says great lions of stone guarded the entrance steps. The exterior walls were of the same shining black stone I had come to regard as the common building material for the city, but affixed to them were silhouettes of folks and beasts all cut from some gleaming white stone. The stark contrast of white on black and the grand scale of these images made them almost overwhelming. A giant of a woman gripped an immense plow behind a team of monstrous oxen. A winged creature, perhaps a dragon, took an entire wall to himself. And he slowly climbs the wide stone steps of the entryway. Right. So I specifically marked the description of this wall mural because I was wondering if maybe this woman with the oxen could potentially be Ida and mm, the dragon yeah. L. Yeah, could be. I mean, I don't know, but she's like a farmer and Ida is the god of the earth. Yeah, very, yeah, and very then possible. L being a dragon would make so much sense because you know, the they're first mean. Elderling and dragon. <laughs> uh-huh. That's what that's what I was wondering if like maybe it's an elderling dragon sort of thing where but dragons are really mean and I could see them like you begging a dragon for help and them being like drown. <laughs> True. Only the strong I mean, survive. Yeah, I don't know that feels like dragon logic. So just putting that out there. That I like that. Yeah. Potentially, but I don't know. It could be nothing. I just like the idea, so I thought I'd share. <laughs> so he finds this tall building and starts climbing. He notes some of the descriptions of the people that are running around him as well. One is a little uh, a boy who is running down these steps, and he notes that his eyes are yellow. Yellow as amber, he says. Doors were closed, so he kind of, uh, <laughs> so rotted that he kind of, pushes them and it, they kind of break apart <laughs> they swing open but there was nothing there he kind of half expected bats or pigeons or some sort of life because it's so disused so rot rotted right that he's like well you know some sort of life and he's still surprised and unexpected when there's nothing there in the city right so he enters he, we find a description of a very broken down place with tattered remains of tapestries and hangings and things like that. But he's also feels tiny here. As the description said before, he was climbing up wide stone steps to the entryway. And we know later, like Emma already said in this episode, this whole city was built for dragons. Those wide stone steps were for dragons to walk up. Right. This place, he says, could house all of the exercise grounds at Buckkeep. And that's big enough for a dragon to go into. Right. I am wondering if these stairs are like 
like what the depth sort of is like is Fitz kind of scrabbling up them you know like <laughs> I feel like, like it, would, it would be fine enough to walk up so it's almost like a ramp for the dragons but like right. still shallow for <laughs> people to I, step up it would just take like right. three strides to get to the next step that's you know fair. That's, I'm just I can't understand like my brain can't conceptualize how big dragons are because sometimes I think they're like elephant size and then sometimes I think maybe triple that so <laughs> So, I feel like they never stop growing, or I might be mixing up two fantasy series together. I feel like that's that might be a song of ice and fire, where they never stop growing. But anyways, I, I feel like there's something that the older that they are, the bigger they are, because yeah. ice fire is massive. Right, like he's he's said to be like multiple times the size of of what's her Tintaglia. And the dragons that the Rainwild keepers look after that aren't really dragons are pretty small. Right. Well, that's because they're malnourished and right. they were old, you know, serpents, things like that. Yes. Yeah, I know. So I do have like trouble conceptually. So that's why I'm like, well, these stairs could probably be just a little bit more like higher than normal to mm-hmm. where like a short person like me would have trouble climbing up them regularly but elderlings with elongated limbs yes. might be fine yeah so like maybe maybe they are like a little but i think fitz is tall no fitz isn't he's pretty tall yeah yeah i guess he's taller than a lot of people so maybe he, they're like you know not that bad he's taller than birik that's true <laughs> i don't know so anyway i just was curious about the size of these stairs because like yeah. If dragons are walking on them, are they like, <laughs> you know, super big or not? He sees some stairs at the other side of this chamber. Yes. And he starts climbing, making note of some of the, the people, as I mentioned before, that he sees here. They were muttering in a businesslike manner. And the stairs were peopled all of a sudden with tall robed folk coming and going. Most gripped scrolls or clutched papers, and the tone of their conversation was that of people discussing weighty matters. They were subtly different from any folk I had ever been among. The colors of their eyes were too bright. The bones of their bodies were elongated. But for all that, much else about them was ordinary. Interestingly, no description of scales being on them, yeah, which the new elderlings have may or may not be because why would you think scales when you're looking at these ghost people? I don't know. But these are the elderlings. And it seems like, at least from this little glimpse that we get, the elderlings are the ones in charge. This building is massive and grand and the people here look important. They're wearing uniforms. They have scrolls. Probably this is a law building yeah, or officials of some sort. Yes. This is where rules and law is happening, potentially even cases, trials. <laughs> so this is it's interesting to think about the society. There probably was a hierarchy and potentially all of the leaders had to be the elderlings, elderlings yeah. because they are in touch with the dragons and this is a dragon city. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But it is, like, cool how you get, like, this two-sentence line and you can extrapolate. historian and archaeologists 
dream to go into a city nowadays like on earth yes. and like see the lives had the ghosts of people it would be my dream to do that. i don't even need to like learn anything important from it i just want to watch like people <laughs> in old-timey clothes do stuff i don't know <laughs> That's why you like period piece dramas and stuff. Yeah, that's probably why. Well, because they're humans too. And so it's like, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to justify period pieces. They're good. So he, he keeps climbing up and up, uh, exploring a little bit, but always trying to get higher and higher in this tower. He keeps to the edges of the walkways, loath to feel the untouch of folk walking through him. He says there were many cushioned benches for waiting, another sure sign of officialdom, which is, I thought, pretty funny. Right. A little aside there. <laughs> and many lesser scribes sitting at a table's recording information from the scrolls presented to them. He is climbing up another flight of stairs and says he's frustrated in his quest for a clear view of the city by an immense window of stained glass. The image presented was one of a woman and a dragon. They did not appear to be at odds, but instead stood as if speaking to one another. The woman in this window had black hair and black eyes, and wore a band of bright red on her brow. She carried something in her left hand, but whether it was a weapon or wand of office, I could not tell. The immense dragon wore a jeweled collar, but nothing else in its stance or demeanor suggested domestication. And this is a misconception that the people who study dragons have is that these are domestic animals that the dragons are pets for humans yeah when, or the pets were or the humans were pets for dragons right and it's know. more of just a matching of wills that yep. they were equals or just two species of animals <laughs> yeah <laughs> that had to get along but this is another woman and a dragon i'm just saying seemingly a little bit different than the one outdoors though well right because she's not i initially thought they might be the same but my my two theories are one i one is one of my theories is i like what you said with ida and l on the outside there but the second theory i have is these were the founders of this city mm -hmm. the woman was originally a farmer or something like that right and you know, the dragon and all its splendor out there praising it. And then this stained glass is where what they became. Mm -hmm. You know, just like equals has a red band around her forehead and the dragon has a collar. They are equals in their eyes and raised to some sort of platform because they are well dressed. Right. The collar of jewels on the dragon and official <laughs> looking garments on the woman. <laughs> right. So that that was my thoughts initially. But I do like the Ida and L thing. Yeah. I do also wish that we got the color of the dragon to see if this is like an elderling and her dragon or if this is an elderling with like communicating with a different dragon. Like if this is a black dragon because she has black features, like is that like is there, you know, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to say I, what I'm trying to I say. I feel like at Kills and Grow they wouldn't do different dragons they would match them up i right. feel like because you have your allegiance to your dragon yeah and also dragons are jealous like why right <laughs> fair you don't want to start a fight between the well, dragons the, the dragons know? we know are jealous and they are 
Ice Fire kind of that's, does do the same that's thing. That's fair. You know? You're right. You're right. I think Even more true. arrogant, to be honest, than <laughs> yeah, the other ones. Fair. <laughs> yeah, because he hasn't spent too much time with humans. Yeah. Which we find out is bad for them, too. Anyway. So he gets to this floor here, this huge open chamber. It's substantially smaller than the main floor, but it has tall, narrow windows of clear glass alternating with stretches of wall ornately decorated with friezes of battles and agrarian scenes. He's drawn to the artwork, but resolutely directed my steps to another staircase. This was not broad, but was spiraling stair that I hoped led up to the tower I had glimpsed from outside the building. The city spirits seemed less numerous here. The climb was steeper and longer than I had expected it to be. I opened both my coat and my shirt before I reached the top. The winding steps were lit at intervals by windows scarce wider than arrow slits. At one, a young woman stood staring out over the city, an air of hopelessness in her lavender eyes. She seemed so real I found myself begging her pardon as I stepped around her. She paid no heed, of course. Again, I had the eerie feeling that I was the ghost here. I think it's really interesting that we have this lonely ghost woman who is hopeless on the stairs. And as Fitz makes his way up and finally gets to the top of the tower, he also sees an argument happening over a map. And it's interesting that this is what he's seeing. And I feel like maybe this is part of why my brain went to like, you're seeing what your soul is calling to, because I have a feeling that this has something to do with the end of elderling times. And I don't Could know, be. we don't know like what happened or we know it's mostly seemingly natural disaster, but we don't know if, you know, this was like brought on by something specific. And so maybe they had a little bit of warning, but didn't do enough. And so we're wiped out or, you know, I don't know. It's really hard to tell. So I'm wondering if this arguing is something like that and it's happening that Fitz sees it because he is also going through his own end of time, so to speak. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Just a thought. <laughs> On the way up to this map room, though, he does note that all the doors he's passing are locked and people who lock doors behind them expect to return someday. So it seems very odd, and who knows what's behind him. Right. But yes, he reaches this map room here. Subdued, uh, the windows here, the thick glass streaked and filthy, subdued the winter sunlight flooding into the room through them, making it at once lit and gloomy. One of the windows was shattered and lay in shards both within and without the chamber. There was a narrow parapet that ran around the outside of this tower as well and a great round table was partially collapsed in the center of the room. Two men and three women, all armed with pointers, were gesturing at where the table had once dominated the chamber, discussing something. One of the men seemed quite angry. So his main point in coming up to this tower was to look out over the city, which he does. He's trying to get the lay of the land. He sees on the south side a wide river valley spread out before him, in the far distance was an edging of dark blue hills that held up the pale winter sky. The river wound a fat, lazy snake through the near part of the valley. In the distance, I could see other towns on the river. 
Beyond the river was a wide green valley thickly treed or populated with tiny farmsteads which blinked in and out of existence when I shook my head to clear my eyes of ghosts. I saw a wide black bridge across the river and the road continuing on beyond it. I wondered where it led briefly. I saw bright towers glinting in the distance. I pushed the ghosts away from my mind and saw a distant lake with steam rising off of it in watery sunlight. Was Verdi out there somewhere? My eyes wandered to the southeast and widened at what I saw there. Perhaps there was the answer to some of my questions. A whole section of the city was gone. Simply gone. No crumble of ruins were there. No fire-blackened rubble. Only a great and sudden rift gaped in the earth, as if some vast giant had driven in a giant wedge and split it wide. The river had filled it in, a shining tongue of water intruding into the city. The remains of buildings teetered on its edges still. Streets ended abruptly at the water. My eyes traced this huge wound in the earth. Even at this distance, I could tell that the great crack extended beyond the far shore of the river. The destruction had plunged like a spear deep into the heart of the city. The placid water shone silver under the winter sky. I wondered if some sudden earthquake had been the death blow to the city. I shook my head. Too much of it remained standing still. No doubt it had been a great disaster, but it did not explain the city's death to me. Which is kind of the only hints we get at the history of this city for now. Right. We know that there is a huge rent in the city that the river has filled in and kind of it looks like a a gorge carving through the middle of this city, but filled with water. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it seems to be a large chunk of the city. I am so curious about what could have possibly done this. Maybe Meteor? I. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Don't with know how... Voltel it is, I think I explained this before, if this planet or this world has tectonic plates, I would imagine, you know, a couple are mm. kind of shifting underneath <laughs> them right now. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it is very interesting, especially because the rest of the city is still standing. And I know that probably Skillstone has a little bit part to play of that, but you would think then it would keep the whole city standing, <laughs> not just most. I don't know. We don't, I think, ever learn how the city ends. We just know that it does. We know that yeah. one of the cities ends in a rain of fire. So, and that's the one that's in the rain wilds that is covered in mud. There's like, so like. Presumably volcano? just a giant, yeah, a giant cataclysm. I always kind of assumed it was a volcano. I guess the only reason I don't subscribe to the volcano theory is because then the rest of the town would be covered in ash, right? Like, think of Pompeii. Right. I I don't know. I just don't see it. Volcano doesn't have to be at Kelsingra. That's fair. Just like the top of the mountain blew off and landed in Kelsingra. Yeah, we don't. I don't know Yeah. anything about. Yeah. No I idea. I don't know how volcanoes work, to be 100% honest. So I just know that they explode. And there's lots of lava and ash. <laughs> so I have the basics down. <laughs> so Fitz is confused. He is in this room. There is a map or what seems to be a long ago map that is broken on the ground and a bunch of dirty windows, except for the one broken one. And he doesn't know where to go or what to do. He notes that a fire was made there and it looks like it was deliberate and not even a month ago. 
He's asking why. Why not use the remains of the table? And why climb this high to make a fire? For the view? He sits down beside the remains of the fire and tries to think about what to do. He touches the stone wall, and it gave more substance to the arguing phantoms around the table. He kind of looks at them a little bit. They're seeing, seeing him... Um, excuse me. He's seeing them point with their pointers and arguing with one another. And he says he's cursing himself for an idiot. He leaps up and looks down at the ancient ruins of the table. The second that I perceived it was a map, I was sure Verity had made the fire. Which is true. Yes. Verity did make this fire, and I believe later on, uh, we get we get a scene in the Rainwell Chronicles where one of the keepers comes up. I think the main girl. I forget Chimera. her name. Chimera. What was that? Chimera. Chimera. Yes, I believe she's the one that comes I up. I thought it and was like, Rapskull, but. It could be Timera. I think it was Timera because we mostly get her point of view. We don't get Rapskull. Right. And we see like the remains of the fire and everything like that. Yeah. So. I Whenever that happened, I was like, oh, I know why. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> so he, he notes that this is a sculpted 3D map that was yes. on this table. And in his head, he's smiling because he knows that as soon as Verity gets back to Buckkeep, a replica of this map is going to be in one of the towers right which Except is pretty sad it never gets made and Fitz doesn't have it made whenever he comes back oh it makes me so sad i mean even though it's like years later you would think he would still be like i got you <laughs> uncle verity i'll put one in but no it is really cool though the idea of this 3d map so he takes note of where he is on that map finds an area of that map where he is positive he came from and makes note of the turns to take to get there. So he wants to find his way back to where he came from originally in the city, and he does so. And then he ponders why Verity would have made a fire here. And he takes a quick look and a closer look at the walls. Wonder overtook me. I put my hand on the cold white stone, then peered over peered out of the dirty window beside it. My fingers traced the river I could see in the distance, then found the smooth track of the road that crossed it. The view of each window was represented by the panel beside it. Tiny glyphs and symbols might have been the names of towns or holdings. I scrubbed at the window, but most of the dirt was on the outside. The significance of the broken window was suddenly clear. Verity had broken out that pane for a clearer view of what lay beyond it. And then he had kindled that fire and used a burnt stick to copy something, probably to the map that he had been carrying since Buckkeep. But what? I went to the broken window and studied the panels to either side of it. A hand had smeared the left one, wiping dust away from it. I set my own hand upon the print of Faraday's palm in the dust. He had cleared this panel and stared out the window and then copied something down. I could not doubt that it was his destination. I wondered if what was marked on the, map, the, on the panel somehow coordinated with the markings on the map he had carried. I wished in vain that I had Ketrickin's copy with me to compare the two. He can see the mountains that he came from from the north, and he studied the view and tried to relate it to the etched panel beside him, trying to compare the maps that were inlaid in the walls and the panels of the, of the windows of the views that he could look at. Trying right. to kind of relate where he came from, what the map looked like from his head of briefly looking at Ketrickin's map and trying to compare the two in his head 
So he decides that he has to do the same thing that Verity did and copy down as much as possible. Right. And he does say that it's hard because the ghost of what was there at one point keeps flickering in his vision. So at one t- at one point he's seeing the mountain with the forest and then he'll blink and all of a sudden it's vineyards and this lively farmstead. Right. Which is clearly the ghost people. So it's really interesting that this skill vision thing seems to even take over the view of the city. And how far out does it reach? If he was standing in those fields, would it work? Those are the questions I have. Probably not. But (laughs) it is cool to think about just how thoroughly the memory of this skill can affect you. Right. Yeah. But interestingly, he doesn't mention that the people are arguing loudly. So I have been imagining that these people are silent. (laughs) I don't know know if that's fair because, like, obviously you'd have to be hearing sound. But yeah, I think he does mention that he hears them. But yeah, still, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like there should be like shouting or something mentioned. Whatever. (laughs) The only thing consistent that he can think of comparing these maps is the black ribbon of road that goes straight to the mountains. Mm -hmm. And so he follows that on the panels and notes that when it gets to the mountains, there is a intersection with tiny glyphs next to those intersections of that road so he he wants to copy down as many of those as possible he can't really read them he doesn't know what they mean but they might correlate to something on ketrakin's map as well he's asking did they match the markings on verity's map were they symbols ketrakin would recognize and so he leaves that room to try to find something to write on basically He's passing through phantoms that seemed to grow stronger and stronger. He heard the words clearly now and caught glimpses of the tapestries that had once graced the walls. There were many dragons depicted on them. Elderlings, I asked of the echoing stone walls and heard my words shivering up and down the stairs. So one thing to note here is that Fitz still believes that the dragons are the elderlings. Right. And that rereading this the first time through confused me briefly because I'm like, no, but he was... He passed the elderlings already. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just because of my mind, I'm like, but I know what they are. (laughs) Right. But it is interesting that he didn't put two and two together with the people that were elongated, with the brightly colored eyes, with his tapestry that he grew up looking at of these bird people. But I suppose they aren't bird people. (laughs) So maybe, maybe that's why it doesn't come to mind as an elderling. He's looking around for paper here and he keeps grabbing at things that he sees from the memories that are nothing they're dust or tattered remains of anything and eventually he does find a piece of vellum that can be used and dried ink yes and some dried ink that he brings back to life with his spit which i don't think that would work just gonna throw that out there i think Hundreds, potentially thousands of year old ink that's dry. If you spit in it, it's not going to work for you. But (laughs) hey, what do I know? (laughs) Hey, the dyes are just there. They just dried up, you know? I guess, but just like regular spit, I don't think it'd be a consistency of which you could. (laughs) I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But (laughs) it is a thought that I have every time I read that. So he's painstakingly copying with his spit ink (laughs) over to this piece (laughs) of paper that he found and trying his best to get it exact or close to exact as he can just to compare later with Ketrakin. Right. These two maps. And I think, I don't know if it's ever officially confirmed, but I'm pretty sure that these glyphs are the same that are written 
on the portal. Yes, this is these glyphs are the uh, skill stone, the portal stone yes. glyphs, and those markings on the map were specifically this portal goes this to way, this, right. you know, like which this does mean symbols that, yeah. go this way, <laughs> which does mean it probably means something. I imagine like Nordic runes <laughs> whenever it, they talk about this. They do. Yeah. And I think Ketrikan goes over some of the meanings because they're very similar and yet slightly different to games that she had played or right. things like that. And one of them translates roughly to stone, which we know is the quarry. Yes. Yeah. So it is. These are glyphs that mean something. I mean, it's they an would old anyway. Language that, yes. <laughs> and that language has morphed into a game that Ketrikan played as a child in the Mountain Kingdom, but they don't use that language. And it's like an old thing that like, right. these kind of have meaning, but they don't really, we don't use them. <laughs> yeah, that's not, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. yeah. It, but it is cool to see that like they match and they do mean something. I don't, it's not just random glyphs that he's right. writing down. <laughs> so he leaves the tower as night was falling. So he spends a whole another day here. His ghostly companions had long since gone home to hearth and supper. And he walks down these streets, passing inns and taverns that seemed to blaze with light and heard merry voices from within. It was becoming harder and harder for me to see the truth of the empty streets and abandoned buildings. It was a special misery to walk with my belly growling and my throat dry past inns where phantoms filled themselves with ghostly cheer and shouted aloud to one another in greeting. My plans were simple. I would go to the river and drink, then I would do my best to return to the first place I remembered in the city. I would find some sort of shelter in that vicinity for the night, and by morning light I would head back toward the mountains. I hoped if I went by the path I had probably used to come here, something would stimulate my memory. So he goes down to that river's edge again, one palm flat on the paving stone, drinking cold water, when the dragon appeared. One moment the sky above me was empty, then there was a golden light on everything, and the noise of great wings beating, like the whirring of a pheasant's wings in flight. About me folk cried out, some in startlement and some in delight. The creature dived down on us and circled low. The wake of wind it put out set the ships to rocking and the river to rippling. Once more it circled, and then without warning it plunged completely out of sight in the river. I jerked back reflexively from the dream wave that leaped against the shore as the river absorbed the dragon's impact. All around me, people were staring expectantly at the water. So he notes that this dragon walks out of the water, walks up the street, and goes to the center well area where people start hauling buckets of pure silver magic so the dragon can drink from it. Right. And he also mentions he's describing this dragon very favorably. He's like, oh, a lizard or rodent or something like snake that has nothing on a dragon. They're beautiful and graceful and majestic and amazing. Closer to a bird. Then. Yes. And I thought it was very interesting because it kind of feels like even the memory of this dragon's glamour is affecting Fitz. Like he's be <laughs> he's falling for the glamour itself. So I found that to be kind of interesting. But again, there's this mention that the skill is there. It's being dumped in buckets. And Fitz, like, I don't know, he sees it happening 
it feels weird to know that anybody could just give buckets of silver to the dragons when, like I said earlier, the later books, they talk about how secretive skill is. And that the dragons would just drink it. He's amazed right. by that particularly. He is. Yeah. <laughs> no. So I don't know. It, it it does raise questions to me about what the line was, because if the everyday man could just like pump a bucket full for a dragon, why couldn't they just do that for themselves if nobody's looking? So I don't know. But yeah, the dragon is drinking the skill straight up. <laughs> I know, speaking on that, like the prevalence of skill, in my mind, I know for sure that they kept certain things very secret around the skill. And I thought particularly that was working with it, like craftsmanship wise, like the elderlings specifically working with the skill to do things. I guess now I'm trying to remember if that related to all of the skill or just that part of like we have our secret store of it where we use our like dragon glove thing to, you know, get skill and shape things and do special things mm. with it. Or if it also, also related to like, yeah, the wells later and she kind of retconned that part. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember either. I just specifically remember they have a secret well that they don't tell anybody. They don't put the memory of the location of this well into any of the stones. Right. They just, I don't know, that feels weird to be so secretive about skill, but like also down the road, two blocks over, you could just like push right. a button and it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was something she forgot. Maybe it is different. They just don't want you to know about the secret stash. I don't know. But I did find that interesting. Throughout this whole scene, he does call it elderling and describes it as like the elderling gracefully bowed its head and drank of this water or the uh, skill and everything like that. And he is following this procession, the dragon and the people following it throughout throughout the roads and eventually has to stop because it crosses through that gash in the city, the big ravine there. And he has to watch it walk away and then flicker out of his of existence. He turns and walks slowly away, wondering where the elderling had been bound and for what purpose. I shuddered again as I recalled how it had drunk down the silver gleaming power. He retraces his steps to the river and then recalls once again his memorized path back to where he first appeared in the city or remembers appearing in the city. Right. He heads there. And he halts because he recognizes this was the plaza where he had been kneeling in the snow the night before. There, that pillar standing at its centered. I recalled some sort of monument or sculpture looming over me. I walked toward it. It was made of the same ubiquitous black stone veined with gleaming crystal. To my weary eyes, it seemed to gleam brighter with the same mysterious unlight the other structures gave off. The faint shining outlined on its side glyphs cut deep into its surface. I walked slowly around it. Some, I was sure, were familiar and perhaps twin to those I had copied earlier in the day. Was then this then some sort of guidepost, labeled with destinations according to compass headings? I reached out a hand to trace one of the familiar glyphs. Again, luck. Luck that he touched that glyph. Right. Because the night bends around him. A wave of vertigo swept over me. I clutched at the column for support, but somehow missed it and went stumbling forward. My outstretched hands found nothing, and I fell face forward into crusted snow and ice. 
For a time, I just lay there, my cheek against the icy road, blinking my useless eyes at the blackness of the night. Then a warm, solid weight hit me. My brother! Nadeyes greeted me joyously. He thrust his cold nose into my face and pawed at my head to rouse me. I knew you would come back. I knew it! And so we get a nice little reunion there. Yes. But this was gone for like a day and a half. Yeah. Or maybe a full 24 hours, I guess. Night to night, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he had quite the adventure without anybody else. I think this, like, stopping in Kelsingra always messes up my time line of the book because I know that he's in Kelsingra alone. So my brain, whenever I try to remember the events of the books, wants to put this on his journey to Regal because he's alone in that part of the book. Uh, But obviously that's not where it goes. So I always get confused whenever I think about this chapter. But it is really interesting to see for the first time elderlings, dragons, the city, and it's kind of sad because I don't think we get any more Kelsingra. I think the next time we get to have anything to do with elderling cities, it is next seer- the Tawny Man trilogy yeah. or Rain Rain Wilds. Well, next, tr- next. Oh, just to do with elderling cities in general. Yeah. Yeah, as Lovejall, I guess, technically. And also the Rainwild, like, yeah. city. That, but I don't, that's not the Rainwild Chronicles. Oh, you, the you mean Live Ship Trailers? Trailers yes, Live Ship Trailers. Okay. Thank you. I could not think of the name of it, okay. but it is not the yes. Rainwild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he was lucky. He was lucky to make it to Kalsingra and not die. He was lucky to not lose himself. He was lucky to find his way back to the plaza. He was lucky to find the exact place that Verity found. Yeah. And find a map. And he was lucky to survive the trip back through the pillar. Yeah. But he got lots of good information. Able to compare this map that he made with Ketrikan's map, as I said before. And, you know, they kind of have a something to go off a little bit. A little scrap of something. (laughs) A better made map, I guess. Or just more detailed. It's different. Like... I remember next chapter, well, of course, we'll discuss it next episode, but they're different scales, first of all, so it's hard to compare them, but there are empty places on Ketrickin's map because hers is so old where there should be markings of what the destinations are, and I think the runes that he transcribes kind of fills that in. Right. So... A little bit, uh, a little bit something to go off of, and I think that's mm-hmm. why they decide to head towards the stone slash the quarry because one of the markings is the city, one of them is like the broken down path, and then there's that third way towards the quarry. Right. Yeah. It's it's definitely interesting. I think the mention that the stone pillar that leads fits back to the group is slightly glowing. Uh, makes us will be a callback a little bit to how last chapter the stone pillar was slightly glowing when he touched it. Yeah. And I wonder again, if it's like a lamppost, it's supposed to glow so you can like see what you're touching for the people who are supposed to know how to use it. (laughs) So they know where they're going. But yeah, it's really interesting. I also, I guess I didn't think about the fact (laughs) that Fitz spent, several hours writing down glyphs because whenever he's like some of these glyphs looked familiar on the pillar my mind is like oh, i wonder if any of them go back to buckkeep because <laughs> the, the you know fighting stone or whatever there whatever they call it but 
Yeah, no, it's probably just because he wrote down a bunch of glyphs. So. Like the Justice Stone or something? I think so. I don't know. Whatever I don't know it either. is. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But I yeah. think that one's too worn down. I think he looks at it later and it's very weathered and you can't really tell. Right. But I do. I am curious if he could go there from he, Helsingra. I mean, yeah, I think he does. Oh, maybe. But not of all, all of them connect together. No. So. Yeah, that's why I was like, <gasps> yeah. maybe, but no. I don't know. Well, thank you for joining in. If you have any ideas for us or if you want to let us know on, again, your opinions on whether it was Kelsingra that the River of Skill was in or not, please let us know at isfitshappy at gmail.com or message us on any of our social medias on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. You can find all of those links and more on our website, isfitshappy.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, there was sand mentioned before, and only snow this time. (laughs) (laughs) So this week, we are going to be talking about a couple user submissions. They're not super lengthy conversations this week, which... It's kind of nice because we talked a lot (laughs) during this episode. You know, (laughs) fair enough. Who knows? (laughs) I can turn anything into a tangent. That's my superpower. Um, (laughs) uh, But I did want to start off by saying thank you to everyone who sent us well wishes. We were sick last week. We were tested. It was not COVID. So, (laughs) but it was... (sighs) It was rough anyways, just because I think, at least for me, I felt weak as well as having a headache and a sore throat for like three days. Right. So it was right around the time where we usually record as well. Yeah, it was. I did not. I woke up the morning that we were supposed to record and didn't have a voice. So, (laughs) And I worked from home all week, which I don't normally do, um, which is why I thought I had COVID. It was going around our work and we were just really freaked out. So that was more on our mind than podcast stuff so thank you all for being super supportive of that and for wishing us uh get well soon for those of you who said you were also sick i am so sorry get better drink lots of tea eat some soup (laughs) that's what i like to do when i'm sick (laughs) complain a lot that's what i like to do when i'm sick (laughs) i thought you were gonna say that's what she also does but no no, that was good that was a good save (laughs) um but yeah so thank you guys so much for that we Really appreciate seeing you guys um, being supportive of us, especially when we have to not post. We felt really bad about that. So thank you. And now on to some of the fun stuff you guys talked to us about. First, I just wanted to say shout out to Kate, a listener who sent us a picture of her Night Eyes tattoo. Yeah. Very cool. Loved it. Um, Kate also talked about how they think that Hap should have a rendition of the Six Wise Men to Jean Bay and end it with Fitz. Yeah, add add in the Fitz verse, basically. Yeah, yeah, which would be very cool. And I would love to see Hap get to write about his dad that way. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so thank you, Kate, for writing that in. We also had a really good topical this chapter email sent in from Ellen talking about the lions that are in front of the big building that's like the diplomatic building yeah that map tower building and just a fun little aside of (laughs) why do they know what lions are yes like where are lions in this world which 
super good question. I did not think about that when I was reading through it. I was my, just like, my thoughts are mountain lions. Oh, Fitz, Fitz would know about mountain lions, and also potentially. This is kind of far-fetched, but potentially the inner duchies could have lions with how... Deserty? Yes. That's... Okay. With how arid it is there. That's kind of a stretch, but it's potential. Well, do lions live in the desert? Or... No, it, it's not like full desert there either, but it is very scrubby, like kind of... Right. You know, it's arid, but not like... Yeah. Full on dunes, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. So, yeah. There's a couple of oasises, you know, here and there. So, potentially there are lions. I yeah. would also say, I would think more lions go in Chalced, if anything. I don't know why. I don't think it's described as like the savannas. It's like a wasteland, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Is that what you I thinking? just wanted to be a wasteland because I hate Chalced. <laughs> I don't stand for their morals or values, so. Um. No, my my first thought to that was mountain lions. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Good point. No, I was just like, actually, actually, you know what, Ellen, you're right. <laughs> Why would he know? But it does very much scream like New York Public Library. And thank you so much for the pet pics. Thank you to everybody who sends pet pics every time or even just sporadically. I never get tired of seeing them. So <laughs> even if I don't say it in the email or the DM, I love seeing the pic and I am so happy that you sent them to me. <laughs> we also had a quick thing from Gnome, a quick email asking about uh, the flower that Fitz thinks he can bring back to Molly from the skill vision on the road when he runs away from Kettle. And almost tumbles into the ravine. He's chasing after this boy who is hawking these flowers out. And Emma made a comment of like, how does he think he could bring that back right, like, to Molly? <laughs> Molly he, is super far away. Is he completely deluded? Like, what's going on? Yes. And so Gnome puts out the theory that perhaps this beacon, the pillar that lets you travel far distances in a short amount of time... That sentiment that, is... Yeah, that memory that this yes, is transportation. Is built in, so it feels sort of like an airport terminal, more so than like, a crossroad. <laughs> I can get anywhere and, I want to go, so yes. I can bring this to Molly easily, because it's in the back of his mind that he can travel. Yes, and I thought that was such a cool idea, that the skill road, because it does affect you, and you do think you're in the time, that potentially you have little memories that even if you can't acknowledge them or you don't fully know them, they're still affecting how you act in the moment. Yeah, because otherwise, if you take that completely out, it's like Fitz is a child with a big red button there and he has to press it. Right. So why why else would he be touching the pillars and why else would he go back and like trace the rune on the pillar and, you know... We could equate everything that he did, like this last chapter was completely luck-based, you know? Mm -hmm. He touched the pillar, he got to the right rune, he touched the pillar in the city, he got back to the right pillar on the road. Or it could be that memory instilled right. of, like, you have to touch these to travel kind of thing. Right, and it's in the back of his mind. But I love that theory, and I especially love the idea that this is, like, an airport terminal. <laughs> that also made me giggle, so... Thank you for that theory. Really enjoyed it. And finally, we got a message from a listener named Allison on Instagram. And they were asking about one of the earlier episodes where we talk about how 
Fitz's dog-like tendencies probably comes about because he bonded so young two dogs and a wolf that of course he's going to act more canine it seems like that would make him more so and in my in my head i'm i still don't know if this is like a chicken or an egg kind of situation (laughs) where like was he drawn to dogs because he is so singularly loyal to people and latches on just like a dog has tendency to do or is he singularly loyal and attaches to one person because he was bonded with a dog right i don't know but we don't either way that's our That's what we were talking about. Yes. And so Allison is asking, since we know that Burek is pretty strong in the wit and has the wit, why didn't he notice sooner that Fitz had the wit and that he was bonding with animals? Which I thought was a really good question. Luke, do you want to answer your thoughts first? Yeah, I mean, we had a small discussion of this before recording here, so I know what you're going to bring up, uh, and I'll comment on that a little bit later, so we can have kind of rehash the same conversation we had. (laughs) But my initial thoughts were that he is, if he did notice it, he put it out of his mind instantly, because how could chivalry's son have the wits? Such a disgusting thing. He's already so ashamed of himself and so guilty for having it and bringing it probably around, you know, Fitz himself, right. chivalry's son, that he's like, there's no way Fitz could have it. I'm, you know, it's it's not possible. This is chivalry's son. He is a perfect man to look up to, and I have to raise him like that. So ignore it if it's there, you know. Right. Um, whereas I'm of the ideation that he just didn't notice because he kind of didn't care, I guess, about Fitz at first. If we remember when Fitz first comes to Burek and is first bonding with Nozi, Burek has just recently been hurt from the boar. So his leg is still healing and he cannot walk. He's young and thinking that his life is over. His king that he is super loyal to and loves with all of his heart just abdicated the throne and has been shown to be a quote unquote fraud. (laughs) He's not as chivalrous as everybody thought he was. Thrust him away and gave him his son to raise. (laughs) Yes. And gave him this kid who ruined his favorite person's life and also he's like 28 and doesn't want to be a dad he was a ladies man and now he has a little toddler running around he probably doesn't care what happens to this kid and i do kind of lean towards that once you said it because i was thinking overall you know the whole relationship but in context of the question why didn't he notice bonding sooner fitz was six he mentions that he was running around with nosy constantly like all he was doing was running around before i think someone like mentioned it to birik and birik's like okay i actually gotta like do something with this kid like give him chores but yeah yeah. like you're you're completely right he was coming to terms with the fact that he was crippled for the rest of his life and would have a limp his wound was not closing he was drinking drinking heavily his whole world was changed because he was now no longer you know on the battlefield or even just next to his king, the man right. he looked up to who changed him into a better person, he was just stuck in the stables with a six-year-old kid who he didn't want around. Right. Who looks just like the king who forsake right. him. So, yeah, there's a lot going on in Burek's life to where I kind of feel like he didn't care. 
I mean, not that he doesn't care later and that he doesn't grow to love Fitz, but I don't think it's fair to think that he would immediately love Fitz as his yeah, own. He he wasn't prepared for it, so he probably was more focused on himself than Fitz. Right. Because to him, it was just another puppy, basically, yeah. to raise. That's the approach that he took for his whole life. But initially, <laughs> even more so, I bet, because Fitz seemed to be getting along fine. Yeah. You know? He wasn't asking for help or yeah. needing anything, so he, he thought quiet, things were fine. He was running around. He wasn't fussing. Right. Like, and on top of, of that, of mind. Yeah, on top of that, we have Birik, who hates the wit and who is blocking himself from the wit as hard as he can. So I think the low level of wit that Fitz is participating in at first would be really easy to go under the radar of somebody who is trying very hard not to notice wit. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. But it's a good question to bring up because it is an important part of Birik's character. Yeah. So thank you for reaching out and asking about it. Yeah. Especially so that we could put up our differences because yeah. I, I feel like we pretty often disagree. <laughs> I, I lean but in a nice what, way. <laughs> I lean towards what you said yeah. after you mentioned it, kind of. But mm-hmm. like I think it does blend in a little bit right. to him what forcefully. You said yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. But it is really interesting. We I don't know. I guess there are a lot of things that we agree on, but it's funny the things that we like end up disagreeing on, I think. <laughs> Cause one of us will be really adamant about the thing and the other will be like, mm, maybe. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much for bring your questions forward and also for giving us things to talk about and sending us love. We always appreciate everything that we get to hear from you guys and the thoughts that you bring us. And real quick before we go, I just wanted to pose a little theory I had that doesn't really fit in with anything that we're reading right now. So I thought that it might be good to put it here. Um, So if you're still listening (laughs) this far, you could have a theory to think on. But I was scrolling through social media the other day and I found a little art piece that was talking about different herbs in a witch's cabinet, you know, <laughs> the usual. <laughs> and I saw the reason I stopped on it is because it had nettle as one of the things. I was like, oh, cute. And then I noticed that one of the herbs that they listed was Molly, spelled M O L Y, but Molly is a ancient Greek myth herb and it is used in the epic Odysseus when he is on Circe's island and it Odyssey, is Odyssey, right? Odyssey. Yes. Yes, thank but you. But Odysseus is person, yeah. Yes. Odysseus is on Circe's island and he is given the molly flower as like some type of powder or I don't know. There's he's given the flower in some form and he takes it to prevent him being turned into a pig like all of Cersei's other victims. So I thought that was really interesting that I don't know if it's on purpose. I think it'd be fun to think that maybe Molly is also named after a flower slash (laughs) herb. But yeah, I just wanted to put that forward into the universe. See if you guys have any thoughts and I don't know. I just thought it was fun. So thank you guys for listening and we will see you guys next week. 